Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the What Would You Say edition, as we put Dave Lapham on the clock and on the spot and get his prediction for what the Bengals are going to do in the NFL draft. And I know what you're thinking. We already know what they're going to do. Well, that's true in the first round, so this year I'll get Lapp's prediction for their first pick of the second round. And it's not one of the most frequently mentioned names. Plus, I'll talk to the Bengals' first round draft pick from last year, offensive lineman Jonah Williams, as he prepares to protect his new quarterback's blindside. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Prime Sport the official fan travel and hospitality partner of the Cincinnati Bengals. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since Bose noise-canceling headphones. On Thursday night, the first night of the draft, we invite you to join us for the Bengals pre-draft party presented by Bose. It's a 30-minute show that starts at 7.30 and will stream live on Bengals.com and all of the team's social media platforms. And fans in the Cincinnati area can also tune in on TV on Local 12, leading right up to first-round coverage. Since Bose is the sponsor, we receive their noise-canceling headphones to conduct interviews from our respective homes. And they're phenomenal. I'm fairly certain that I could be standing next to a jet engine at takeoff and not hear that noise at all. They're also great looking, although if you watch the show tonight, you'll notice that I look a lot like the Scott Van Pelt logo that ESPN uses while wearing my new Bose headphones. So check it out on the pre-draft party presented by Bose Thursday at 7.30 as we count down to the number one pick. It's a tradition on this podcast just before the draft for Dave Lapham and me to play prognosticators. But this year, we had to change things up a bit. All right, Lap, over the years, you have become legendary for your ability to predict the Bengals' first round draft pick. Nostradamus like over the years. Kevin Zeitler in 2012 when the world was saying David DeCastro, Tyler Eifert in 2013, even though the Bengals still had Jermaine Gresham at the time, John Ross with the ninth overall pick in 2017. So your track record is very good. I'm positive you're going to get that first round <laughs> pick right this year. Yeah, I don't think I don't think many are going to uh, uh, miss miss this one. It's uh... Joe Burrow obviously is is going to be the guy, and is, he's been the guy I think for for quite a while. I think they made the decision on that a while ago. You have people like Chris Sims saying it's the cleanest tape he's ever seen of a collegiate quarterback, and you know Chris Sims I, I respect. I did coverage his games when he played at University of Texas. His dad Phil obviously we know well, and he he understands quarterback play. Chris does as well. So when guys say somebody like that says gives that kind of an evaluation that means something you know how about the year he did have wins a national championship the Heisman going to be the number one pick in the entire draft that's a trifecta that not many people can can claim plus he holds records 60 touchdown passes in a single season accounted for 65 total touchdowns those are both records I mean that's that's a resume that is just unbelievable but you know what's kind of weird Dan Think if the coronavirus were last year, 
Joe Burrow off his 2018 season, where, by the way, LSU receivers led the country in drops, so Burrow wasn't as bad as people think by his numbers in 2018, but Joe Brady would not be offensive coordinator at Carolina. Joe Burrow would not have been able to show the season if, in fact, there is no college football. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable how fate can, uh, can, can be the biggest factor in, in anybody's career, right time, right place, with respect to Joe Burrow transferring to LSU. You know, avoiding a pandemic, as it turns out, that it's uh, it's not the year that he has the season that he has, or he wouldn't have had it. It would have necessarily it would have been totally different. And uh, it, it's crazy when you think about uh, about that. But I think Joe Burrow is is the guy that's going to be the the first pick of the draft, and deservedly so. Lap, I'm glad you mentioned Joe Burrow's junior year because a lot of people keep talking about his astronomical growth from junior year to senior year, and there's no question that statistically his senior year stats are far better. But if you go back and look at his last four games of his junior year, you could see what was coming. He started to do what he did as a senior in the last four games. And if you look at his Fiesta Bowl performance in particular against UCF, that's a team that had a 25-game winning streak at the time. He got blindsided by a 313-pound defensive lineman after throwing an interception early in that game. Might have killed another quarterback. He bounces right up, fires up his teammates, throws for 394 yards and four touchdowns. The Joe Burrow that the world saw as a senior was starting to materialize in the last four games of his junior year. Yeah, and I think that toughness we've talked about before started up at Ohio State when Urban Meyer decided when he wasn't, you know, the number one quarterback, he was down the, the ranks a little bit. He decided that he was going to scrimmage Joe Burrow with twos and threes against the Ohio State number one defense, and he got brutalized, brutalized. You know, his mother's in tears watching it, these uh, inter-squad scrimmages, two Saturdays in a row. And all he did is, like you said, get up, dust himself off, never, never, you know, complain to his teammates, to his coaches. All he did was play. And I think he won a lot of guys over. I mean, his teammates at Ohio State paying their own way to get to the national championship game to watch Joe Burrow win a national championship says everything I need to know about Joe Burrow. He was on Golick and Wingo this week on ESPN Radio, and I found it very interesting. They were asking him about what he's been able to do uh, during these stay-at-home times, and he actually said that he thinks it might be an advantage for him. He's had no distractions. He hasn't been flying around the country going from team to team for interviews. He's been basically working out where he can find patches of grass, uh, throwing to old high school buddies. And I just like the fact that, boy, you talk about not making excuses to say that in his personal development, this actually could be advantageous. And it also gets back to something you said on one of our previous podcasts. You were hoping he wouldn't throw too much. In the uh, weeks and months leading up to the draft, going from team to team and doing workouts, well, he's been able to control that because of these stay-at-home restrictions. And and the reason that, you know, I was hoping that, Dan, is a lot of these uh, first-year quarterbacks, you know, they're not used to the length of the NFL schedule, and it might not be that long this year, so it might not be as big an adjustment for Joe Burrow. Who knows? Who knows what what, what is in store? But other, other quarterbacks, I mean, they're dead on. They, they have problems uh, the last quarter of the season. You know, it's just like, oh, my gosh, there's so much in preparation for the draft. Then the draft, then the OTAs, then the mini camps, then this, then that. Man, my arm's hanging off my shoulder. And uh, Joe won't experience any of that. I mean, I, I do think that 
this this uh, time coming up is, is tough, though, when the OTAs and mini camps were going to take place. Joe Burrow to get his timing and, and rhythm down with you know AJ Green and other receivers, and just to familiarize himself with the Bengals' offense and and start to establish relationships with his teammates and just the bonding that goes on. I, I remember you know way back in the day, the first mini camp I went to, it's like oh boy, these guys are good. This is an adjustment. I mean, all of a sudden, you better crank your miles per hour, per hour up with your movement, you know, a bunch of miles per hour. You're on the Autobahn now. You're not on just a, a regular highway in, in the United States of America. This stuff is fast. It unfolds fast. So I, I do think that there's a little bit of, a, of, a, of an issue with regard to that because there's no way you can mimic it. You know, he, Joe can't on his own, you know, virtually um, assimilate, you know, what you would assimilate with, with, with on-the-field experiences that you would during OTAs and mini camps and, you know, syncing up uh, the timing and, and everything that goes along with playing quarterback in the National Football League. So with that in mind, does it make sense to try to hold on to Andy Dalton if you can afford him as a mentor? Andy Dalton experienced something similar but different his first year in the league as a rookie because there was work stoppage. So there wasn't an opportunity to install with coaches like, like Joe Burrow is going to experience virtually. I mean, he's going to be every single day, um, you know, with, with Zach, with the coaching staff, um, installation, all the mental reps will be there, but it's more important in my mind for the physical reps and what the Bengals did, courtesy of Andrew Whitworth and Domita Pecco being the two leaders of each side of the football, basically established their own little mini camps as such with these workouts and, the installation of the offense, these guys, you know, had that down. Pecco had the defense down, and, and they made it work. Andy Dalton got the timing down with his guy drafted with him, A.J. Green and other receivers, and goes on to have a 9-7 and seven record once he gets back with Jay Gruden, and he's a quick learner, um, you know, and goes to that 9-7 and seven record. So that, that, in my mind, is a little bit better scenario than what Joe Burrow may be facing. So, yeah, I guess – to have Andy Dalton um, right there in case Joe has issues, which I don't anticipate because the big thing on Joe Burrow, you know, his, his Wonderlick score comes out at 34 amongst the highest of the quarterbacks. He's very smart in general as well as football IQ, and, I, and he's, a, he's a very competitive learner. And that's the thing about him. He's the first guy in and the last guy to leave, and his preparation is like his teammates are in awe of it. I love Brady and Peyton Manning and, and people like that. So, um, you know, it's 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 going to be an interesting interesting adjustment for all involved. Uh, you know, Joe Burrow, the players, the coaches, his teammates, his team, and Andy Dalton's a he's a he's a term insurance policy is what he is. He's a one year insurance policy if in fact he decides that it's it's okay with him uh, to do that if that's his best option. But he's not going to do it at seventeen point seven million. That's for sure. I thought it was interesting in his recent interview with Mike Silver from NFL.com that really for the first time he said there was a scenario where he could come back to Cincinnati. I think up until then, every bit of body language and anything he had said in interviews before he left town at the end of last season indicated that he was fully convinced that he would be moving on and, and getting his chance somewhere else. And and I still think that's probably likely but at least he opened the door to potentially being the veteran mentor slash backup. Right. And, and I think if he decided, if he gets his mind right in that regard, 
he'd be as good as there is in the league because you know he, he's he's not only a quality player he's more than quality human being i mean he's he's upper crust human being and um you know it, to have andy dalton as somebody for joe burrow to bounce things off of or if in fact he is struggling you know to to observe and, and watch andy Dal- andy dalton could install the bengals offense to joe burrow as well as anybody in the organization so to have you know to have that as an as a code insurance policy uh, would not be bad and, and like we talked about i mean he's the victim of musical chairs the music stopped and there's more guys than chairs two of the guys are former first picks in the nfl draft you know you get you get cam newton and you get james winston out there the teams can sign uh when they, if they so desire for for no compensation no trade and they can do new contracts in andy's case if, if you're a trade you're talking about draft capital and you're talking about assuming a 17.7 million dollar contract those are two inhibitors for sure the Patriots did pick up an extra fourth-round pick for Gronk. <laughs> I'm sure the yeah. Bengals would happily take it in exchange for Andy Dalton. It's interesting. You look at uh, the two teams that have the most picks in the draft, the Miami Dolphins, 14. I think that gives the Patriots at least a dozen, maybe more. They were number two at a dozen, I think. And this one might give them 13. So both teams are you know, in need of quarterback. Others, late late uh, mock drafts and so forth, have the Patriots trying to make a move for Tua because, you know, obviously Bill Belichick and Nick Saban have a very, very close relationship. He'd get more information from Saban about Tua than, than anybody, and I think he does have a high respect for Tua. But if he can't get Tua, I, in my mind, Dan, like we talked about earlier, I think the guy that could slide is Love. And, you know, you see Love anywhere from somewhere in the top ten in some mock drafts, not even being drafted in the first round in other mock drafts. And I think he is, he's the one that there's big divergence of opinion on. And if he's there at the end of the first round, the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, with the, with the, uh, the teams that have the most draft capital. Now, the, the Miami Dolphins would have already had their first three pick, their three first rounders be gone. They still have 11 picks, though, left to work a deal with Kansas City. Patriots would still have a dozen picks or so themselves to work a deal. If Kansas City doesn't want to work a deal, and the reason the teams would want to work the deal is like the Lamar Jackson thing, trade up at the end of the first round, get the fifth year in the rookie contract. Instead of four years, you get them for five, and you can build accordingly around him and make it a better football team. But if, if Kansas City doesn't want to do it, it takes two to tango, who's the next team? You know, eight, 12 hours later, uh, the Bengals are on the clock and you got two teams that okay loves are the last option the patriots and the dolphins both in the same division we want to get them we don't want the other team to get them i mean they're made they have all kinds of draft capital left there may be an opportunity there it's, it's going to be interesting i think kansas if, if love slides kansas city and the Bengals are going to be getting a lot of phone calls at the end of day one and the beginning of day two depending on how it all unfolds all right, so you have extended your streak of nailing the Bengals' first pick by <laughs> selecting Joe Burrow. So now let's have some fun this year. We want a definitive prediction. We'll each give one. A definitive prediction for the Bengals' selection at the top of the second round if they wind up choosing 33rd overall. What do you say, Dave Lapham? My dream pick would be Kenneth Murray, but that's a pipe dream. He's, he's not going to be there. 
Patrick Queen would be another dream pick, but he's, I don't think he's going to be there, Dan. I, those guys, I think, are just, you know, Chase on, Patrick Queen, Mara, we've talked about those guys in the past. I'd be, if any one of those guys are there, man, run up to Santa Claus and give, turn in the card because it's Christmas. Um, but I, I do think, you know, Zach Bond could, could be there. Um, he's more of an outside guy. I think the guy that they, they need a, a little bit better fit. I've talked about Jordan Brooks and I've seen he's starting to get a little bit more, a little bit more buzz. And I've seen him, um, you know, in, in some mock drafts, uh, moving up, moving up pretty significantly. I like the guy. I mean, he's, this kid is six feet, 240 pounds, ran a four, five, three. I mean, you've got 240 pound linebackers running like cornerbacks. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous how these guys are, are genetic freaks he's got 34 35 inch length arms i mean he he is he can come downhill make plays he'll run sideline to sideline he's a he's a contact ratio guy he just watch him he just impacts the game he impacts the game on a snap-by-snap basis so you know i'm I'm wondering if 33 is a little bit too rich for him but he's a he, he might be a little bit better fit because he's a He's a space linebacker, or space stack linebacker, and off the line of scrimmage, you know, linebacker. And I think, I, I do think, you know, I, I think Zach Bond would get some consideration. I think it might be a little bit too rich for Zach Bond potentially, uh, and it might be a little bit too rich for Jordan Brooks. But you know, would they go offensive lineman at that point, Dan? I mean, if one of the top four tackle slides, you know, they may have to think about that. And as we've talked about, I mean, this this draft is interesting in that. Last year, 12 defensive linemen went in the first round. 12! People panicked. There were, there were defensive linemen being drafted at the end of the first round that a lot of people had rated as third-round picks. But when the run started, people panicked. You know, will the run be – it could be as balanced the first round. could be four quarterbacks taken, at least four receivers, at least four linebackers, at least four offensive linemen, at least four cornerbacks. Okay, which one of those position groups is going to get the run? And that's what's going to be interesting for the Bengals. If the run happens somewhere else, but instead of wide receiver, man, if you got a wide out there, Dan, that you had rated the middle, you know, 15 to 20 in the first round, how the hell do you not take the guy at 30, uh, at 32? So it is going to be a very interesting, interesting draft for the Bengals. And, and to have that first pick in the second round, like we talked about, the phone calls they might get, irrespective of that, it doesn't matter about that. They're going to be the first one to be able to take the slider. Well, whoever the slide guy is, the Bengals are in position to say, boom, that's my guy. What if A.J. Terrell was there from Clemson? This kid, I mean, a cornerback could slide that, you know, people really like. He's fast, he's long, he's fluid. I mean, the guy can play. And, you know, you'd think, wow, how about if a cornerback like that is still there at 33? And that that's, that's a primo spot for the Bengals to be. I mean, that's why I think I really do think that there's there there'll be maybe a handful of guys, maybe a half a dozen guys that they'd be good with at 33. So if somebody wants to trade up, you know, just don't trade back more than uh, you know five or six spaces. Make sure you're still in the 30s. Don't trade out of the 30s. You'll still get a guy that you you evaluated okay at 33, and still and then pick up another pick. I would like to see the Bengals. I don't think this is a great year, Dan, to have 12 to 14 draft picks because of the coronavirus. 
How, how many are you going to make the team? How many you eval- How many are you going to evaluate? How many draft picks and how many college free agents? I don't think teams are going to bring ninety players in. Why the hell would you bring ninety players in? You might only bring in 70, 75, 80 players because instead of evaluating these guys and thinking, oh, this guy might be one of my best, you know, 51, 52, 53 in my roster. The hell with that. You know, you gotta you gotta start really working on your team, putting your team together. And the whole process is going to be sped up. If you're cluttered with 90 players, I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic too. So to me, it makes sense for the Dolphins, the Patriots to get off some of their picks. And I'd like to see the Bengals maybe pick up a couple, you know, maybe have nine draft choices instead of seven. I mean, seven wouldn't be terrible, particularly where they're picking them. But, you know, nine picks, you know, you start to get up to double digits in this year of the coronavirus. How the hell are you going to evaluate everybody anyway? You may not have a training camp, much of a training camp to evaluate these guys. They've already cut one preseason game off. They're down to three preseason games. You know, I don't know. It's it's just I don't think I don't think this is the best year of years to to have all those draft picks accumulated because of the coronavirus. All right. So if they wind up choosing a number thirty three overall, and Murray and Queen aren't there, Jordan books Jordan Brooks rather. Linebacker from Texas Tech, four-year starter, is your guy. All right, I'm going to cheat a little bit on my guy. Peter King came out with his mock draft on Monday. Yep. He, he said that Queen is still going to be there, so I will say Queen. Now, I know you would do the same thing if you thought he was there, so it's right. it's cheating a little bit on my part, but I'll go ahead and predict that he'll be the guy, and again, if he's there... They'll sprint to the podium, I would think. There's no doubt. I mean, if Queen is there, um, you know, they're, they're going to be kings, feel like kings, and run to the <laughs> run that card up as fast as they can to to take the queen with the, being the king. Uh, there, there's no doubt about it. Um, and also, in, in Peter King's mock, he's another one that had Love sliding out of the first round. Love was not picked in Peter King's draft in the first round. So it's like, hmm. You're out at uh, number 33, and love slid in Peter King's estimation. Um, it's, it's uh, to me that is uh, that's the one thing that I'm going to be most interested in is watching love. How much love will love get? <laughs> because we've seen we've seen great quarterbacks. You know, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, you know, slides down into the 20s. We've seen all kinds of quarterbacks that people thought were going to go high, but in this era of you know the emphasis even more so on the passing game, it makes you think, you know, how can how can a guy that some people have as a potential top 10 pick not even get picked in the first round based on, you know, what goes on in today's National Football League? All right, so I've, I've made the queen selection, even knowing that it's a, it's a little bit of a cheat. I'm using Peter uh, King's mock draft as my rationale for being able to select Patrick Queen, but just to be a little bit more fair, I'll pick another guy, my uh, my 1A selection, and this is somebody I mentioned on a previous podcast, Utah cornerback Jalen Johnson. I think he's got what you're looking for at the position. He's tall. He's about a six-footer, about 200 pounds, had a great career at Utah, and I think it will reflect the fact that Will Jackson's going into the final year of his deal. They only signed Mackenzie Alexander for one they have prioritized cornerbacks high in the draft in the past. So if I can't get Queen, my official prediction, I will move to my 1A selection, Utah cornerback Jalen Johnson. 
my one A selection would be uh, if, if if all these linebackers get taken and quarterbacks get taken. What if one of the better offensive tackle slides? It, it's a pretty it's a pretty deep draft in in offensive tackles, but I mean there's there's a little bit of a drop between you know the first handful and the next level. Um, you know people say Will's worse. You know they'll flip flop which one they think is number one. They've got uh, Becton. In that uh, in that mix, the monster out of Louisville. They have Andrew Thomas from Georgia, you know, in that mix. Um, it, to to me, Jackson from USC has got tremendous movement. Jackson would be a great pass protector in the National Football League. But I mentioned this guy Isaiah Wilson, and I saw I think Peter King had Isaiah Wilson in the first round, if I'm not mistaken. I think I saw Isaiah Wilson at the end of the first round of Peter King's mock. Guy's six seven, three hundred fifty pounds. The other tackle at Georgia. Yep. I'm not, you know, raw needs some work, but he, he will maul you. Now he doesn't have the movement that Jackson has, so it's like, what do you do? You want this big behemoth out there who will you know eclipse the sun and be hard to get around, or do you want you know more of an athletic movement guy that isn't quite as stout? You know, it's just uh, pick you know pick your poison. And I do think the Bengals covet that you know the big monsters guy. So you know, Isaiah Wilson might be. Again, might be a little rich. That's why I think if they can trade back, guys like we're talking about, yeah. you know, could still be there. And they pick up another draft pick. I think, you know, that's the home run, obviously. And But it takes two to tango. You have to have, you know, somebody that's willing to pull a trigger with you. And I think if you trade out of the first pick in the second round, you are looking for a third round pick. So a second and a third, or maybe somebody's second and high fourth. That would yeah. be a realistic expectation if you give up the first pick in the second round. And that's the sweet spot of the draft. I mean, this draft, the, I was talking to John Lynch at the Senior Bowl, and I'm like, John, you got the 13th pick in the draft, but you don't have another draft choice till the fifth round. And he's like, yeah, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're thinking, you know, we're going to work hard to see what we can, how valuable that 13th pick in the first round is, Dave. There's no doubt about that. He goes, but we feel comfortable that we're there's a starting wide receiver for us in the fifth round. That's how deep the wide receiver position is. They think that toward the middle of the, of the, you know, of the fifth round, middle toward, you know, middle or back third of the first round, they can still get a starting caliber wide out. That's how much value there is every single round, you know, at the, at the wide receiver position. And, uh, you know, that's not the, I mean, it, it's, it's very, very deep at at wide receiver the deepest obviously but fortunately for the Bengals it's deep at linebacker it's deep at offensive tackle there's a half a dozen cornerbacks you know and then it kind of drops it's it's a questionable draft for for tight ends defensive tackles there are some you know real good ones at the top but it's not quite as deep with the interior defensive linemen so uh, this draft could hit the Bengals you know with some of their needs pretty darn well particularly you know when you're talking about getting extra you know, second or third or even early fourth round picks. All right, we're going to move on to our next topic. And this is uh, sort of along the prediction line. I want you to give me a few names for guys later in the draft that you would love to see wind up in a Bengals uniform. Here's a guy that that slid up into the first round in some mock drafts, Logan Wilson. The kid that I've been talking about, uh, saw him at the Senior Bowl, played at Wyoming. Um, he was 195-pound wide receiver defensive back in high school, three-year captain at Wyoming, uh, first All-American at Wyoming since, like, 1997. Very intelligent guy. 
Uh, I ran a sub four six at six two two forty five two fifty ish. He's twenty three years old though, so you know he's he'll be twenty four shortly. He's he's not uh, he's not you know a kid, which you can look at as a positive and a negative. He has more more years on him, obviously, but but he's mature. And at the Senior Bowl, Dan, this dude was serious as a heart attack. Now, I mean he he was all business down there. I'm watching, you know, I, I tried to watch, not just because you can't watch, can't go in the meetings, but I'm watching guys, all right, who's gravitating to who, who's, you know, who's, who's the, the, uh, you know, the big person, personality, who's the guy that people want to hang with and talk football or whatever. And this guy, man, he wanted none of that stuff. I mean, he was just on time. He was the first guy there, you know, totally serious look, never cracked a smile. I'm here. This is a business trip. And I'm treating it as such. And man, I, I tell you what, if, if he's there in the third round, you gotta gotta think about him a little bit. Um, you know, he's he's uh, he's definitely definitely an interesting you know interesting guy. Um, there's a guy that in third round caliber player, offensive lineman to play at the Senior Bowl, Matt Kurt from Connecticut, six seven, three hundred eighteen pound guy. Yep, saw him play. Senior. Yep. Another you know another uh, you know uh, mature guy. Um, you know, they, they, I, I think that that I'm not sure even third round, even if, with the first pick in the fourth round, he could very well be there for you. There, there's no question he could very well be there. Um, third round, I mean, if from the wide receiver position, what if a guy like Rager or Pittman or IU, what if those one of those guys is there at the very beginning of the third round? It's possible because if they're a second round, you know, second round rated person, they could easily slide to the first pick of the third round. So I think, you know, guys like that, I, I just really think that with the depth at some of these positions that, that the Bengals would have no problem taking another player at, um, man, I, I, they're, they're in a good position to, you know, they're going to be picking for the top 100 players in the country, the 97th pick in the draft. But a guy, you know, it's interesting. You look at uh, Logan Wilson, like I was talking about, I've seen him rated as a player anywhere from 29th best in the country to like in the one thirties or almost one forty. I mean, it's a hmm. huge swing and it's, 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 you know, it's funny how to each their own, everybody has different opinions and, and, and but it only takes one, you know, it only takes one team to rate a kid 29th best player. And if he's there at the end of the first round, you have a need a linebacker, you know, he could get taken um, or he could be there early in the second round or, you know, uh, if, if it's more like, People that haven't rated, uh, you know, and let, let's split the difference. Haven't rated in the in the 60s or 70s. You could be there for in the third round, and it'd be a great pick in the third round. And I think it, that's where a guy like Logan Wilson or you know a guy like Kurt or people like that, you know, might be available. So I'm interested that you identified Wyoming linebacker Logan Wilson and didn't mention. Akeem Davis Gaither, because that's the guy who, it seems to me, pops up most often as a third-round potential Bengals linebacker selection. And he's—I saw him at the Senior Bowl. He was on the South team, Dan, and he's—he's uh, he's like he's a little more undersized, and and runs about like the other. You know, he's fast. I like him. I like him a lot. I mean, I, I could see him. Maybe third might be a little rich, as high in the third round as they are. But if they get an additional third, or that definitely, he's my in the fourth round. If he's there in the fourth round, boom, no hesitation. I'm, I'm taking that kid in the fourth round, no doubt about it. 
All right, I'm going to give a few names now that I would love to see wind up with the Bengals at some point later in the draft. I'll actually start with a third-round possibility, and this gets back to something you were saying. One of these highly touted wide receivers that's a first-round grade on somebody's board is going to be there at the top of the third round because of the depth of this year's class. And the guy that I am going to identify as a potential top-of-the-third-round wide receiver is LaVisca Chenault from Colorado. And the reason why I could see him sliding is his injury history. He was hurt at the combine. He needed surgery after the combine. I think it was something like a sports hernia. So it's something he should bounce back from. But it's just one more factor for why he might be there at the top of the third round. So I'm going to throw out LaVisca Chenault as the holy cow, that guy's still on the board selection and uh, say that I would love to see him still there at the top of the third round. As for other guys I would love to see at some point, we're talking like fifth to seventh round. Got a soft spot for UC tight end Josiah DeGuara. Sure. Having watched him play for the Bearcats, 6'2", 242 pounds, so he's a little bit shorter than you would like at tight end, but he crushed it at the combine, ran a 4'740", had the sixth best 40 time among the tight ends. Number one in the bench press among the tight ends with 25 reps. He's a guy that was about 210 pounds when he got to UC, added 35 pounds during his Bearcat career. He would be great on special teams. Uh, He played special teams at UC, had more catches as a UC tight end than anybody in school history, including Travis Kelsey or uh, Brent Selleck. So I would love to see Josiah DeGuara wind up with the Bengals late in the draft. He was Jonah Williams' high school teammate in Folsom, California, so they are fast friends. So uh, I've got a soft spot in my heart for Josiah DeGuara. I also would love to see Michael Warren wind up with Cincinnati at the the end of the draft, the uh, great UC running back, former Mr. Football in the state of Ohio. But uh, let me throw out one non-Bearcat, and this is a guy that uh, you would have seen at the Senior Bowl, Colorado linebacker. Davian Taylor, who's a total wild card because of his family's religious beliefs. He was his family as a seventh day Adventist. Uh, He did not basically play high school football, then went to junior college, wound up at Colorado. Crazy athlete, ran the 100 and the 200 at Colorado, even though he's an undersized linebacker, then ran a 439 at his pro day. The same as Isaiah Simmons, totally raw doesn't know what he's doing at this point at linebacker, but he would be that uh, take-a-chance-on-a-guy type of late draft pick. I'll tell you, there there are so many linebackers that can run, but uh, Chenault, that you mentioned, another guy, Ayuk's the same type of guy. They're, they're, they're good um, run-after-catch receivers, so they play receiver like a running back, and I think their style of play can lead to injury, you know, because they're so physical. I mean, they they basically they covet contact, you know, and the physical part of the game is is big with them. And the Bengals uh, coached uh, Deguara at the at the Senior Bowl, liked him, liked him a lot. And um, Luke Fickle came over to see him and visit him at practice, uh, you know, when he was recruiting down there in Alabama. Made a recruiting trip out of it to stop over and see the kid. And they love them, Jan. Dan, as you know, yep. obviously he's he's a he's a great kid. And Darren Simmons, you know, uh, thought that he could obviously make an impact in, on special teams as well. 
but there are there are so many linebackers that in this year's draft that run like cornerbacks. I mean, they're running the four three. If you don't run, if you're if you're four six or more, you're man, you're 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 pokey. I mean, you you can't run. You can't hang with these guys. It is unbelievable. There's a there's a kid named Gay that ran like a four, you know, sub four four forty. Willie Gay, and, and, linebacker yeah. from Mississippi State. Yeah, that yeah. kid. He ran a four. Like, he ran a four four six with a thirty nine and a half inch vertical leap. And this kid is, you know, look look you look at him. Eh, it doesn't really translate as a football player yet. He's raw as raw can be. But you look at some of the physical things that these guys did. It's like, golly, man, what are they eating? How are they working out? What the heck are these genetic freaks doing? It's the the forty times, you know. And, and I know they know you can make so much money at the combine. They have track uh, coaches, you know, teaching them all every trick of the trade to run the best forty time they can possibly run and the best get off they can get for a, you know ten twenty splits and then the forty. It's it's turned into a, a cottage industry all, all on its own, but the 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 fact that they can get themselves uh, you know trained to be able to run like that is incomprehensible. And then you look at almost a forty inch vertical. I mean that's just sheer explosion. You know you have guys you you, you have an, an offense works at at three hundred and thirty some odd pounds had a thirty six inch vertical and ran a four eight five forty. Are you kidding me? I, that, that's that's ungodly. I mean, that that's ridiculous. The, the 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 numbers that some of these guys put up at the combines these days—it is crazy. What was your reaction to Gronk to the Bucks? I mean, not shock, mild surprise, but when Gronk had that emotional presser where he said, "You know, um, I was losing the joy in my life." Bottom line is, here, here's here's it in a nutshell, in my opinion. Bill Belichick grinds you to dust. And you, you, you go, and Bill Belichick will always have players that want to go to New England because they want to win a Super Bowl. But staying there for, Gronk was there for nine years, Brady for 20. Brady is the most mentally tough guy I think there is in the history of the world. For him to put up with Bill Belichick for 20 years. Nine Super Bowls, win six of them. You know, Gronk won a bunch of Super Bowls as well. You pay a serious price though at some point in time even winning super bowls becomes oh my god this is drudgery this is this is no fun and gronk's whole thing at that press was you know i i just i'm struggling he was almost crying he was almost in tears and i'm i'm i don't have a joy in life that i need bottom line is as it turned out he had just burnt out mentally with the grind of bill belichick and he physically felt like he could still, you know, get it done. I heard he's already back up to about 260. He'd lost a ton of weight, but he's, he's back up to about 260. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure he'll be a situational guy. Third down, red zone, um, you know, those, those types of things. I don't think they're going to uh, grind him like the like the Patriots did. But, Dan, when he was playing, even even the last, the last season he played, his numbers were down in terms of – but he was like a third tackle, the best blocking tight end in football. So, I mean, the guy is a complete player. Does he have anything after being off for the amount of time? Is, is his body recovered? Or is it where it's, oh, boy, that's too much. I, I'm not going to be able to get back to the level of play that I was able to play at. I mean, that's the big question. You know, Brady and Gronk, it's going to be a, you know, a sideshow down there in, in, uh, in Tampa Bay. With Bruce Arians allowing Gronk to be Gronk, man, that's going to be made for, you know, that's going to be a made for, uh, 
uh, reality TV deal down there. Um, and, and I think that's the reason he's going to do it is the, the antithesis of Bill Belichick is Bruce Arians. B.A. likes his fun. <laughs> B.A. is going to have a good time. He's going to have himself an adult beverage. He's going to have himself a cigar. He's going to kick back and relax. I mean, and he's going he's gonna to have a different relationship with his players. It's not going to be drudgery. It's going to be fun. And I think that's a big thing. I think that's Brady and uh, Gronk. I think that's what they were both looking for at this stage of their careers. Could guys have played 10 to 20 years for Forrest Gregg? Yeah, that, that's, that's a very, uh, that was a meat grinder, you know, and, and with collective bargaining and the union being so much stronger and, um, you know, safety is a supposed priority of players. Uh, Forrest Gregg would have to adapt to today's football. I mean, the, the training camps we have with Forrest Gregg, man, the Shevitz now, whew, you slept well at night. You know, you woke <laughs> up in the morning and you slept well at night. I'm telling you that. And, uh, you know, you started training camp at uh, a little over 6'4 and finished at about 6'3. You were hitting so much, your neck got shortened. You know, I mean, it, it was one of, one of those kind of deals. But, um, you know, again, you know, Lombardi, we, he had credibility with us because he did everything Lombardi asked him, and Lombardi asked him to do every bit that he was asking us to do and maybe even more. So, but the bottom line is, I'm not sure. I, mean, you, I, I don't think there's any way you could play 20 years with that type of pace, you know, that type of a pounding and a grinding that went on physically. That If you made 10, it was a big deal. 20 would have been like, are you kidding me? That's incomprehensible. All right, I don't know about you, but I'm really excited about this draft. I'm always excited about the draft. I love it. I love reading about these guys in the days leading up to it. But we are so starved for some sort of live sporting event right now. I just think it's going to be awesome to watch. I, I do, too. You know, I, I think that, um, like we were talking about, you know, almost kiddingly, uh, they could have made an exception this year and, and done an entire week and had each round, you know, take probably less time. Round one, you know, maybe the first three rounds, two-hour shows. Maybe give each team ten minutes for each pick so the networks could run all every all kinds of things about every player that they could run and, and have the country just absorb you know, every story. And there is, there are some amazing stories, you know, I mean, it's, it's incredible every year, not just uh, from a football standpoint, but what these guys, you know, had to be exposed to, uh, you know, in their lives. I mean, some of the, some of the things that some of these players had to overcome, you know, uh, Murray, for example, the linebacker from Oklahoma, um, they, they say at, at the, at the, uh, when he interviews with people, it's the best they've ever been around. Um, multiple teams have said that. I mean, he's got he's got three special needs siblings. He helps his parents with three special needs siblings growing up his whole life. You know, stories like that. Uh, it's like, man. So I, I think they could have they could have made the draft probably. Uh, you know, the first three three rounds, two hours, and then an hour each uh, from that point forward to finish it off, and it would have had huge numbers. Seven million people watched the Last Dance, the first episode of Last Dance. What kind of numbers is the draft going to get? The live draft. What kind of numbers? It's going to be crazy. It definitely will be. And let the record show that if the Bengals select Jordan Brooks, linebacker out of Texas Tech in round two, Dave Lapham's legend will grow. (laughs) Well, honestly, I hope Queen's there because I'd like to select him. (laughs) That's kind of what happened last year, as I recall. You had uh, predicted that Andre Dillard 
would be their first round pick. But you said if Jonah Williams is there, you didn't expect him to be. But if he was there, the Bengals would run to the podium to make the selection. And that's basically how it played out. Right. Right. And that, you know, I think, I do think that, uh, you know, Queen is, uh, is, is somebody that you have to, you have to give high regard. It's another guy. These guys run like deers. I'm telling you though, the more you watch Chase on, I, you know, I, I know, I know it's a clear cut situation, you know, with the Washington Redskins. I, you know, I would not, uh, there's no way they're not taking Chase Young. This guy is like a, uh, you know, is like a, a superhero physically. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Chase on, though, I'm telling you now, this guy can pass rush. And the thing that he can do when he gets the edge, he can almost put his right shoulder when he dips, you know, to the quarterback or his left shoulder as he's rushing from right end. And they have to, you know, dip and, and bend. This guy bends. I'm telling you, Ben, his his elbow's almost on the ground. His shoulder looks like it's almost like a foot and a half, two feet off the ground. The dude can bend like like Gumby. It's the the athletes and the the, the physical abilities of these athletes uh, on a on a year by year basis is confounding and astounding. <laughs> All right, we'll be doing videos for the Bengals' website after the picks start rolling in, so looking forward to getting your thoughts on the guys they ultimately wind up selecting. Same here, Dan. Look forward to it as well. It'll be, uh, it'll be a lot of fun. The, the draft couldn't come at a better time because, man, I've had enough of these groundhog days. Uh, you know, every day being almost the same. It's how, how can you change it up? Well, the draft will change it up, so Thursday, Friday, Saturday won't be quite like the groundhog days of the last month or so. And we invite you to frequently check Bengals.com throughout the draft. Lap and I will be joined by Bengals.com editor Jeff Hobson for video recaps every day. And we'll post a new in-depth podcast after the draft is completed. The Bengals only have one first-round draft pick this year, at least so far. But when they take the field this season, it's going to feel like they have two. That's because their number one pick from last year, Alabama offensive lineman Jonah Williams finally gets to play after missing his entire rookie season due to injury. I spoke to Jonah on Wednesday. The Bengals will be adding two first-round draft picks this year, and no, I am not breaking news about an upcoming trade. Joe Burrow will be one, and offensive lineman Jonah Williams will be the other. The first offensive lineman picked in last year's draft, number 11 overall, who unfortunately could not play last year due to a shoulder injury. Jonah, thanks for joining me. Let's start with the obvious. How is the shoulder? It's great. It's uh, it's really good, you know. Unfortunate what happened, and, um, you know, it sucks, but I try to make the most of it. And I've been feeling, you know, pretty much 100% since the very beginning of the offseason. So haven't had any hitches with my training, just, uh, just continuing to, uh, you know, try to get better, and and feel better than I was even before uh, any of this happened. If and when some sort of team training begins, will you face any limitations? No, I'm 100% good to go. That is great news for you and the Bengals and Bengals fans. Jonah, right now guys have to be creative when it comes to training, and I saw a video recently of you pushing a truck. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about that workout. 
Oh, it's funny because, uh, you know, obviously with, with what's going on, you know, the, a lot of gyms are closed and everything's just kind of kind of weird. And so some of my uh, my other O-lineman buddies um, started pushing, you know, trucks. My friend JC uh, Hostenauer was pushing trucks in, uh, <laughs> in Minnesota to get a little bit of work in. And then one of our other friends, who's like a skinny guy, was pushing a Tahoe and he challenged me and I'm like, I can't let you know, the skinny guy push a car and I don't do it. You know, I gotta, I gotta rise to the challenge. So, uh, yeah, I pushed the truck around a little bit and, you know, felt like football for a second. Jonah, when you were 12 or 13 years old, you started building a weight room in your parents' basement. So I think you are uniquely qualified to be resourceful when it comes to finding <laughs> ways to train. Yeah, I'd like to think so. I think it's, uh, it's paying off. <laughs> what else can you do right now in terms of studying game film, training, et cetera, everything that you would normally be doing this time of the year, what can you do? Well, the goal is, you know, to, to make everything as normal as possible. I think me and most football players are people who uh, kind of thrive with a routine and a schedule and some structure. And so, you know, we're starting this virtual um this virtual period next week where we'll be doing, you know, zoom meetings and, and that type of thing. And just received my iPad earlier and they're going to start pushing film and playbooks and all that to it. So kind of the goal for me is to, you know, obviously I'm not physically in that setting, but I think it, it, it works best in my brain to treat it like, all right, this is my work day. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to do my physical exercise, training drills, everything I can do, and then study my film playbooks, kind of get into all that. So, you know, just trying to make everything smooth. So whenever we do go back, it's a, it's a smooth transition. It doesn't feel like, you know, a jarring change or anything. We are visiting with the first offensive lineman picked in last year's draft, Jonah Williams. The anticipation is you'll be able to step right in and play left tackle this year. Are there any uncertainties in your mind about your ability to step right in and do that after missing last season? No, I mean, I I feel good. I'm, I, I appreciate, you know, the coach's confidence in me, um, you know, to, to allow me to go compete for that role. Um, but I feel great. And honestly, I feel I feel better than I did before. Um, before any of these injuries and stuff, just because, you know, it's not college anymore. We're not training to run 40s and do all those drills and stuff like that, all the kind of non-football stuff. Like, just every hour of every day um, has been dedicated to, A, rehabbing the shoulder, getting that right, and then now that that's 100% and has been for a few months. It's just all about, you know, taking care of my body. I've been working on flexibility movement all that stuff on top of obviously strength and so i feel like i'm moving better i feel quicker more athletic and um that's kind of the feedback i'm getting from the people i'm working with too so you know i have full confidence i could have done it last year um but i feel i feel better than i than i was last year for sure jonah you were in every meeting last year and you practiced on a limited basis in december how much did that help oh it helped it helped a lot i mean obviously it's it's tough and it was hard going to work every day and just feeling like you're kind of letting people down or disappointing. And it's, you know, just a uh, situation that's out of my control, um, you know, which isn't, which wasn't ideal, but I, you know, my goal was to make the most of it. And, you know, I think the coaches were great and letting me come to every meeting and, you know, spending some time with them outside of that too, just like, you know, continuing to invest in me, even though I couldn't perform for them last year. Um, so, I, I mean, I feel like despite having not played, I feel like kind of the rookie season's out of the way. I know what the NFL's like. I know what to expect. 
Um, I know kind of the, the level of professionalism that's expected, something I'm really comfortable in. And so I think that, yeah, um, you know, going back, it's going to feel like I have a little bit of experience and obviously, you know, that'll change as I start to actually take game reps and all that. But I do, I do feel like kind of that, uh, that novelty is kind of gone and it's, it's, uh, it's just, you know, work and business. We are visiting with Jonah Williams. It's been a very eventful offseason for the Bengals, and that's before we get to the selection of Joe Burrow and the other players that the Bengals wind up taking this weekend. They signed eight unrestricted free agents. They spent more than $130 million, including the addition of a potential starter on the offensive line and Xavier Suofilo. What was your reaction as those names kept rolling in? It's exciting. I mean, I, I, I think there's a, lot of, there's a lot of new blood in the building. You know, obviously the the new coaching staff coming in have a lot of faith in them, um, and have a lot of faith in the vets that are here and that are staying. And you know, the guys that we're bringing in all seem like great players. I'm looking forward to getting to know them and you know, um, getting to know them as teammates and friends and all that. So you know, it's exciting. I think that, that there's just I don't know. I mean, it's 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 always exciting to come to work and to to come play the sport. But when you have all this new blood and all this new uh, new talent around you, you know, you kind of want to you know, kind of want to try out the new toys. Jonah, it's no secret at this point that the Bengals are going to select Joe Burrow number one in the NFL draft. You faced him a couple of years ago when you were at Alabama, and he was just getting started at LSU, and it did not go particularly well for Joe in that game. The Crimson Tide shut him out. But then this year in Tuscaloosa, Burrow and the Tigers put 46 points on the board, which doesn't happen to Alabama, period, very often, especially at home. (laughs) You're an SEC guy. I imagine you were watching – what are your thoughts on your future teammate and quarterback Joe Burrow? I mean, yeah, it's, it was pretty incredible um, what he what he was able to do the whole season. I think that you know, obviously LSU's always been a great team and they're always a challenge for us. But you know, that challenge was never offensively. <laughs> you know, that wasn't really what LSU was known for. They're known for great defense. You know, just being a physical mauling team. And so what they're able to do this year, obviously beating us um, at Alabama all the other big games they won and how they performed in the playoffs and stuff like that. And it was, it was impressive. And honestly, you know, I feel like there's always kind of, I always felt, I was like, well, you know, they're great, but maybe someone will stop them, you know, like just wait till they play so-and-so. And And then they just kept doing it and they just kept winning. Um, I think it says a lot about that team, their coaches, and obviously what Joe was doing at quarterback. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's, I I haven't really seen a better uh, college season uh, from a quarterback than that. So that was pretty impressive. Did you watch the semifinal win over Oklahoma when he threw seven touchdown passes in the first half and then the national championship <laughs> game against Clemson and think, huh, this guy might work on our team? Yeah, I mean, it's it was incredible what he was able to do. And, um, yeah, Clemson's obviously a great defense, the team that, the, the team that we faced and um, a couple of times, and they were always a great defense. And, you know, I think that they came out hot, and LSU kind of struggled on their first drive, maybe two drives or so. And then all of a sudden, they just started clicking, and, you know, it just looked like no one could stop them. So really, uh, really impressive what they did. Are there any former Alabama teammates that you are hoping will wind up in Cincinnati? Yeah, I'd take any of them. <laughs> you know, they're, all, uh, they're all great guys, all dudes who, you know, obviously I think are, are great football players. And, you know, obviously it's up to the, to the coaches what they think our team needs are. But, you know, hopefully if they're picking between – Alabama guy and a non-Alabama guy, they'll take the Alabama guy. <laughs> well done. I had an opportunity earlier today to speak to your former high school teammate, 
former UC tight end Josiah DeGuara, as he prepares for the NFL draft. What do you think of his NFL prospects? I think he's great. I mean, he's he's an incredible player. He was in high school and he was at Cincinnati. Um, so, you know, I, I was kind of like joking with him um, during the season. I'm like, dude, you gotta, you know, you gotta come down and play with us next year. Like, you gotta um, come join the team. I think he's a he's a great tight end, really versatile guy. He's physical, so he can play H or Y or wherever anyone wants to put him. Um, good hands, all that stuff, everything you want to see from a tight end. Um, so I think you know whatever team gets him is going to get a hell of a player, and you know I hope it's us, but I don't really get to say. <laughs> Jonah, let's turn the clock back one year. When you walked up on that stage, shook Roger Goodell's hand, got the Bengals' number one jersey. What are your most vivid memories of your draft experience? It was just pure, you know, excitement. <laughs> like, just an awesome feeling sitting there and, you know, getting the uh, getting the phone call from the 513 number, you know, when, when the Bengals were on the clock and talking to uh, Coach Taylor and Coach Turner and everyone. And obviously the whole experience, it just kind of feels like a blur, you know, kind of like a dream. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a reminder, I guess, of it coming around of like how grateful I am for, for the opportunity that they gave me. And obviously wasn't able to really capitalize on it with the, uh, with what happened with my shoulder and OTAs. So I think that, you know, just that reminder plus like my excitement and everything, um, everything that's been going on, just like how eager I am to get back and get to work and, um, kind of prove that they made the right decision. I don't think anybody has a doubt that they did make the right decision and that you are going to have a great NFL career. I appreciate your time today. Stay safe. Uh, when you push those trucks, be careful with your back. <laughs> and uh, when, when we're all allowed to be back together again, we look forward to seeing you here in Cincinnati. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Prime Sport, the official fan travel and hospitality partner of the Cincinnati Bengals. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.